Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer-turned-nutritionist with a passion for well-being. You could say I'm on a personal odyssey to seek improvements in all areas of my life. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in my podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Brad Beer. Brad is a sports and exercise physiotherapist and his special areas of interest are patellofemoral pain, that's runner's knee, tendinopathy rehabilitation, and as we're going to hear about today, bone stress injury. He's also an exercise scientist. He is the host of a very popular podcast called The Physical Performance Show, which has had over 1 million downloads. Plus, he's authored a book, a best-selling book that is, called You Can Run Pain-Free, a physio's five-step guide to enjoying injury-free and faster running. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. In addition to all of that, he is a very handy triathlete and runner himself. Today I'm here with Brad Beer. So hi, Brad. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure to join you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you as well. So Brad, um, I'd like to start talking about your athletic achievements. So you've had some notable successes as a triathlete and a runner, actually too many to list, but I'll just give a little snapshot. In 2012, you won a silver medal at the ITU World Age Group Triathlon Championships in Auckland. And in that same year, you were the Australian Olympic distance triathlon champion for your age group. In 2015, you won the Gold Coast Bulletin Half Marathon. So congratulations, they're great achievements. Brad, can I ask you, what is your marathon P, sorry, half marathon PR? Oh gosh, uh, it's, uh, it's <laughs> putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's 111, uh, 20 something. Uh, yeah, so I, wow. I, I say that with it. We always want more, don't we? So, I mean, uh, I'm happy, but not happy. So, because we always expect more. So, I'd like to one yeah. day try and get that down into the high teens. But you know, there's a few things that have to fall into place for that. Oh, that's that's amazing! Wow, I'm I'm impressed. Oh, incredible! Well, it's always it's, it's relative, isn't it? Because there's always people running faster than us on any given day of the week. But I think that's the beauty of running. It's it's just our own race, isn't it? Oh, totally, totally. And in terms of triathlon, what's your favourite triathlon distance? Oh, well, this is easy to answer because um, <laughs> I'm yet to, uh, mainly through time constraints and not having, I guess, the opportunity or not creating the opportunity to really go into the longer stuff with the time it requires. Uh, it's been Olympic distance. So the 1.5, obviously, yeah. swim 40k ride and 10k run. But it's interesting you ask because I am on the the verge of wanting to have a good shot now in uh, the next few years at some 70.3s and probably try an Ironman or two. So we'll see. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat, actually. I, I've i done 170.3. A couple of others on the calendar have been cancelled this year, unfortunately. But anyway, this has been an unusual year. For sure. Um, 
So do you have a favourite leg of the triathlon? Yeah, <laughs> it's so interesting because as a junior, uh, the run was my weak leg and I was kind of known for most likely leading off the bike or being you know, one of mm-hmm. the first off the bike in most races and then uh, fading in the run. So, uh, And then when I spent what was nine or ten years out of the sport, came back in the 30 to 34 bracket, my run was my strength and I was uh, living the other experience of getting off the bike wherever and running through the field. So I would have to say uh, the run is my uh, favourite leg, but uh, maybe when I make my third comeback, <laughs> it'll be the bike. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it, that that changed as you got older? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would never have picked it. So let's uh, jump forward a few years to your physiotherapy practice. So in 2006, you founded My Backs Physio which became Queensland's first back in motion practice and then Pogo Physio. So Brad, I've been wondering the whole time, what does Pogo stand for, the name? Is there a meaning behind that? Yeah, there is, uh, Amanda. Yeah, there's three phases of my practice ownership life, the founding phase and my back's physio mm-hmm. days where the only thing I ever wanted to treat was back pain because I had it right. some pretty debilita- debilitating years. And then... Uh, the middle years, which uh, were franchise uh, experience and franchise or experience, and that wasn't a good fit uh, for, for us as a practice or myself. And so mm-hmm. we spent we spent quite a few years, and unfortunately, lots of uh, legal dollars extra dotting ourselves from that system. And I was really at an all time low in my career. Where I after that it was not, not pleasant. Where I wondered if uh, I even had what it took to stay in the industry. Um, and wow. so the name, uh, there were many walks and runs of just despair thinking, oh gosh, uh, I think I'm done with it. And the name Pogo really was a flow on effect of a, a commitment to, to go again with mm-hmm. our practice and, uh, rebranded into something more representative of our values, which, uh, you know, we want it to be fun and lively. So it was actually a brainstorming session with yeah. um, some marketers and uh, they'd been given the portfolio to create the, the look and feel of the brand and they left the, the name into me but they were sort of doing exercises to stimulate names and we knew it wanted to be yeah. short with an O and uh, Pogo popped out and I remember saying it and thinking that's the most ridiculous name for a clinic. We can't call it that. And the girl at the time, who's now the mark or was the marketing manager after that role for Uber uh, in Australia, she said, That is great. And I went, Right, well, you know, I don't. So we'll call it that. <laughs> and so that was the name. And that's, that's all it is. And it, it obviously has a bit of life to it, it's a bit of energy. Yeah. That sort of fits with as well. Well, I like it because for me, it, the first thing I thought of was those pogo jumping sticks, <laughs> and that's energy. And so I think it's great and it's memorable, which is good too. And you can't shorten it, they tell me. The marketing geniuses say ah. a name's really good in, in, in organizations where they, it can't be abbreviated. So they liked it on that. So Oh, there you go. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. And so on your website at Pogo Physio, you say that your aim is to get your clients back to their uh, physical best as efficiently as possible. And I must say, as a patient or client of many physios over the years, that is fantastic news. 
And you say you want them to cross their physio finish line. So can you tell me what's a physio finish line? Amanda, that is just the end of the journey. So in my down days, as I referred to before, where I really Mm -hmm. wondered if I had what it took to go again, um, the one problem that I felt hadn't been solved in our industry was overcoming what I guess you loosely alluded to was that perception that some people have that physios just want them to keep coming back. And so I thought what's missing, what's missing is an early identification of what that endpoint would look like for everyone's journey. So Amanda, it's doing the 70.3 triathlon or whatever it may be. And then we simply reverse engineer it. And we gave it a bit of a fun name because it's memorable and sticking. We called it a finish line. So we, we then extended it to be a physio finish line. So we say, Amanda, we want everyone to cross their physio finish line. There has to come an end to rehabilitation for every case, every condition. Yeah. It's not an ongoing thing. Uh, and we don't want people to be here a session more than what they need, but we want to make sure they get across that physio finish line. And we celebrate them in-house with a bit of fun, a little gift, a photo if, if, if uh, the patient <laughs> clients up for a photo. And, and that's what we want to be known for is we're just getting the job done. I think that is absolutely brilliant because sometimes when you start a physio journey, it can be a bit daunting because, as you say, it sort of seems to be never-ending with no finish line in sight. But, I mean, thankfully now here in Adelaide, I've found someone who is just brilliant. He's really practical and, uh, you know, he's – I don't actually see him very often these days. He's kind of got me where I need to be. So that's good. And you know what? That's the heart of every practitioner, Amanda. Yeah, as it, as it should be. Absolutely. And I know also, Brad, that you do telehealth at your clinic. Is that is that something that came about in response to COVID-19 or were you already doing that? Yeah, Amanda, that was something that I've enjoyed doing because it's actually a real, it's, 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 it's quite fulfilling in, on so many levels. Uh, That's something I've personally been doing for probably four plus five years. Uh, And it was mainly off the back of the You Can Run Pain-Free book where people reached out to me for for specific concerns they had. And knowing that most running rehabilitation journeys are load management, training and strength and conditioning principles, this can be done anywhere in the world. Uh, So so. It wasn't a post-COVID or a COVID-era response. It's something that was already well and truly entrenched. What's nice is I think COVID on that one nicety of it is that people's perceptions are very different around engaging in telemedicine now. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's good for you in the sense that you were already set up in that space before Mm. COVID took hold. Um, But one question I have, I've never done a telehealth consult and I think probably a lot of people would have this question is how do you treat someone without being able to touch them? Yeah, and and it's a great and valid question. Uh, So if we're working with running injuries or (laughs) it's pretty much my my, uh, vertical, you know. um, Your life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Then the hands-on stuff, no matter what the condition is only just modulating symptoms and potentially pain. It's not the rehabilitation itself. Yep, so, that makes sense. You know, I could stick pins in you, Amanda. I could stick an elbow in you, um, mm. could massage you. Uh, it's all the same stuff to your body. It's just a bit of tissue input. 
what will actually rehabilitate you is the, the strength work, getting your return to run program right. And the other sort of part of that question people often have is how can you diagnose me when I'm not in the same yeah. room? And, and, the, and that's very straightforward because 90% of a diagnosis is in the story that a patient shares. So if the practitioner has ears to hear, yeah. they will already have probably an accurate diagnosis within 10 or 15 minutes of actually listening to the patient, zipping their own lips and listening. And the, the test that we get done, say a running injury, can be amanda up, head over to the corner there, try this. And that's normally just going to validate or confirm the likely diagnosis through the story that you tell. Yeah. And I guess also years of experience in that space. Um, I mean, that definitely helps. But, uh, yeah. you know, I maintain any therapist, even a graduate, if they're listening enough, they should yeah. be able to accurately diagnose even without objective tests. Of course, you still do those because they're necessary. Yeah, I find that really interesting because the I changed up something on my bike a while ago and ended up having some pain. And so I, you know, looked on Dr. Google and <laughs> I'd catastrophic. What's that word when you make it more catastrophic than it is? Uh, catastrophized. Um, is that catastrophized that right? yeah. it. And I was really worried and I went to see my physio and told him and he basically said, oh, you, you know, you've put your seat too low and you're blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, okay, that fixed it. Simple. <laughs> well, and, and well done. That's, that's, you acted on it and you had someone obviously that um, knew what they were doing and was uh, yeah. trusted. And look at that, simple things. Very simple. And in my mind, I was out for six months with some terrible injury. So anyway, so today, Brad, I'd really like to take a deeper dive into one of your specialty areas, bone stress injury. But just before we do that, I can't not ask you about, well, your podcast. So you have a fantastic podcast called The Physical Performance Show, and I think you've had over 1 million downloads. So congratulations. Oh, thanks, Amanda. Can you tell us a bit about your podcast and what motivated you to start it? Yeah, thanks, Amanda. The podcast did start... Uh, Oh, this week's 233 weeks in. So do the maths on that four and a bit years, I think, isn't it? Um, wow. And it was really just an extension of conversations I was having often with people in the room that I thought would be interesting on a wider level. So mm. podcasting was around four or five years ago, um, but audio for endurance athletes is such a nice medium because we often take it with us. So it was really just a bit of a, a fun project uh, to spread stories initially that would interest other people. Um, and from there, it's evolved to sort of feature, which is one of my great loves in doing it, the expert editions where yeah. I'm always learning and I know they're well-received through the audience. And so uh, it's really just developed from there. And, you know, it's, it's as you know, better than uh, anyone, Amanda, it's, it, it's a passion project. There's a lot that goes into it, but, I, I enjoy talking to people and learning and that ticks my boxes and I enjoy getting feedback that it's it's helping people out there that are consuming it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a passion project, but like you, I, I love learning and talking to people with expertise in various areas. And I'll just mention one of your episodes, number 225 with James Fletcher, and I'll put a link in the show notes. He talks about the science of breath. Mm. And I absolutely loved that episode. I thought that was so interesting. And 
just one of the things he he said you could do to train your breath is to tape up your mouth when you're running and just (laughs) breathe in and out of your nose. And I thought I've been trying to practice breathing in and out of my nose on my slower runs, but I just can't come at taping up my mouth. (laughs) Uh, Well, if it's any consolation, I haven't done that yet either. I've actually got to get corrective nose surgery for a deviated septum in October. So until I get that, I'd be... uh, I wouldn't be able to breathe. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love, you know, learning tips like that that you can actually put into practice. Well, uh, yeah, that's great. We call it the highs, lows, and learnings. And above anything, it's the learnings that I get excited about because they can make a big difference for people. They can, and also, as we both know, in the science of um, sport and nutrition, it's just constantly evolving. So there's a, there's always something you can learn about, isn't there? Absolutely. And it's funny, we're going to talk about bone stress injuries. And I feel like that that, on that topic, Amanda, like it's the more you look into it, the more you feel like you need to look deeper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can enlighten us, Brad. So can you describe, I guess, in lay terms, what is bone stress injury? Yeah. A bone stress injury uh, is we have little sheets in clinic here and I'm happy to uh, shoot you a PDF of this, Amanda, if you wanted to include it in in the show notes. But yeah, really created this little document to to visually answer that question for people, but in an audio format, the the answer's in the name. So a bone stress injury is a stressed bone. So we all get stressed in our lives in different ways due to life loads, COVID, mm-hmm. financial, relational. A bone uh, is no different. So if we think like a bone, uh, we pretend we're our shin bone for a little bit, Uh, How can it get stressed? Well, you can get stressed if if the loads, say the running training, changes Mm -hmm. too quickly. Uh, So that can be the net amount. That can be the intensity. That could be a combination. Uh, It can get stressed. So that's what we would refer to as a biomechanical factor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it can be, if you like, stressed from the inside out. So the health of the bone might be a little bit suboptimal. So the individual might have low bone density. They may not be getting the fueling in that they need and therefore their bone health isn't being prioritized. Uh, They may not have adequate vitamin D levels. So these are what we call biological factors. So a bone stress injury is simply the bone getting stressed and then it becomes sore. And uh, there's a combination of factors that can typically be present to create it. So... You said it becomes sore. So I guess is that how it manifests in patients? It's it's a painful um, presentation. Correct. Uh, I mean, up to a point, most runners, say triathletes, athletes will have uh, signs of bone stress in different bones of their body without pain. So right. because we're using the body. Uh, yeah. But there is a tipping point where it starts to become you know, what we, I refer to as, we refer to as a pathology continuum. It starts to become pathological and sore. Yeah. And the driver of that is fluid basically accruing on the bone. So when that fluid gets in there, it starts to create an ache and that will proceed until the bone's given a rest basically. And okay, it's a continuum. So it starts with happy bone. Yeah. Where the bone, every time we exercise, there's a stress on the bone which causes mm. internal breakdown of tissues and our body then goes to work and remodels that damage. Yeah. 
So that's a training adaption, right? Yep, absolutely. Mm. And we're designed to, that's, we're constantly loading things up, breaking down, building back up. But if that accelerates because of some of those factors we mentioned before, then you can start to find yourself on this pathology continuum where you might develop a stress reaction of the bone. Mm-hmm. And then if that can progress into a, for example, a grade one, two or three, and then the fourth grade is a stress fracture where someone's pushed right. the bone even further. And the fifth is a frank fracture, a fully a full break. fracture through the, the lip, yeah. the, whatever bone. So, uh, yeah, it's a continuum, Amanda. Right. I'd like to talk about those risk factors in a bit more detail, but I'd just like to get my head around how common is it? Yeah, great question. Uh, very. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, it, you know, without some of the, all the data in front of me from studies, but we estimated somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 20 to 30% of all sports medicine injuries are bone stress related. It depends on the, the groups. So if we're talking about runners, yeah. you know, it's running injuries are bone related, bone stress or tendon related, typically mm-hmm. joints thrown in there as well. So by far, it's one of the greatest causes of injury for uh, running base sports. So for load-bearing type sports, what about swimming, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So if we go back to our definition of what a bone stress injury is, it's a stressed bone. Swimmers can get stressed ribs. So whilst we're not going to see a stressed shin bone in a swimmer, unless they're, which often happens, they go running uh, for for cross-training and they haven't done it for a while and they do too much too soon. So I have seen plenty of swimmers with shin splints or shin pain, but it's not due to their swimming. Uh, they can get a stress of their um, of their ribs. It's it's not super common, but it can happen in swimmers and rowers because the ribs have been subjected yeah. to those forces. I interviewed um, actually an old friend who's an Olympic three time Olympic rower, and he said that um, ribs were the most common or one of the most common rowing injuries because of that stress. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Whilst I'm speaking to a keen and accomplished triathlete, it seems a good time to mention the book. Journey to Kona, how to finish your best Ironman triathlon, qualify for Hawaii and have fun doing it by Nick Muxlow. Nick is a former guest on this podcast in episodes 38 and he has the honour of being my first ever guest in episode 1. In Journey to Kona, Nick, who is a triathlon coach, provides all the information you need to help you qualify for Kona and that includes the science behind training, mental preparation and practical tips as well. So you can find a review of Journey to Kona on the book reviews page on my website. If you're interested, you can also purchase the book from my website via a link to Amazon. If you do do that, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission and I thank you for that. So I'll put a link to Journey to Kona and my review of it in the show notes. So, Brad, let's talk about those risk factors in a bit more detail. I believe that there are two overarching categories that you've already mentioned, the biomechanical risk factors and the biological ones. So let's start with the biomechanical. What are those risk factors? Yeah, and and another way to think about that, because it sounds a bit bit scientific, doesn't it, is just Mm. the loads applied to the bone. So what's been thrown at the bone? Uh, so the main factors there are training load errors or training yep. errors. So that's 
I always think of the rule of twos, too much, too soon, too hard, too fast. Yeah. And what athlete hasn't made that mistake before? Uh, it's part of the athlete mindset, I think, isn't it, to push yourself? So Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Uh, so that's the primary driver of bone stress injuries is training errors. And I know you've cited this, this research as well, but 60% of all running injuries are training error injuries in the literature and really it's probably closer to a hundred in the clinic. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's the primary biomechanical factor. People often ask about the role of footwear, uh, the role of running surfaces, etc. Yes. They're really quite negligible. We all want to look at things like shoes as the cause of our injury. Yeah. Or, um, the and they silver put, bullet. Yeah. And it plays a role, but it's, it needs to be considered as as a rehabilitation journey's done, but it's normally a fairly small contribution to the pattern. It's 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 a loading injury yeah. uh, primarily. Sorry, they're loading injuries primarily. What about the actual biomechanics of the runner? If they, uh, I mean, this is very non scientific terms, but if they knock need or something, yeah. and yeah, it's a it's a great point, and and that's something that I think a lot of people just intuitively still believe. Uh, causes running related injuries and it's not to say that biomechanics don't matter but most of the time it's the biomechanics of the person have been the same right through their athletic career and yet they haven't always had the injury so it's not how they're put together it's not how they move it's because Amanda went from resting from no running for four weeks got excited because Okay. was just inspired and started to run five times a week and the shin couldn't keep pace, not because Amanda or Brad had knocked knees. So, okay. so we look at it, but it's rarely when it comes to bone stress injuries, that big of, of, of play up. If you're talking about elite performance in sport, then, you know, you're really leaving no stone unturned, but for the recreational to committed runner, uh, we will look at how someone moves. Of course, the biomechanics, uh, aren't as big of contributor as many people would would assume. So there's two characteristics of biomechanics known to be linked to injuries. One's hip drop, which is strength mm-hmm. related, and the other is overstriding. Right. Several years ago, there was a bit of a push to, uh, and maybe it was tied up with, uh, um, you know, those uh, barefoot running um, ideals, was to change people's gait to a front foot, landing yeah but then i've subsequently read that people should sort of just run how they naturally run so where do you sit on that yeah and i i I went right through that whole movement um from what people would i guess acknowledge as traditional type motion control shoes that i grew up yeah as a junior triathlete exposed to and early my physio career to the minimalist movement, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. like the barefoot type approach, which was really birthed out of uh, Chris McDougall's yeah. Born to Run and the, and the, Born to run. the underground mm-hmm. uh, following that, that that garnered and the big shoe players acknowledging the trend. And uh, here we are in the 2020s and um, maximalist shoes are now the biggest segmentation. Every shoe brand's moved to have a maximalist version. So like the of, hawkers. Exactly, lots of stack heights. Yeah. So uh, I... So shoes are a bit of sporting equipment or a tool. So they can be prescribed for certain needs. But if you look at the literature, 
the best guide of the shoe is is what's comfortable for the athlete or runner. Yeah. And then it's the same in many ways for technique. So unless the way someone's moving is contributing to their presentation with an injury, mm-hmm. you pretty much get out of the way and leave it alone. Yeah. Um, so it's quite interesting and it's, it counters many people's thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating area. Um, like you, I've tried the whole gamut and now I just go for my what I think is the most comfortable shoe. Yeah, and that's and you, you can feel good about that because that's what the literature uh, supports. But there are times, say you have a sore Achilles, we might suggest you go into something higher with a stack height. If you've got a yeah. sore knee, we might say go more minimalist. So you can manipulate the loads on the body, mm. but you're just shifting the load. You're not completely removing it or uh, reducing it. So they're just little strategies, but most of the time the average runner can walk into a shop, pick the one that feels most comfortable, walk out knowing they made a good decision. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of technology in running shoes these days. So There Um, there is. It's mostly marketing though. Like, I mean, if we look at it, we look at, and I was so appreciative of Nike and this isn't, I'm not affiliated with Nike, but when they uh, came out with the Flynet, uh, not the Flynet, the Infinity React, they actually did a great ad and it said, this is the democratic solution to footwear. Uh, in other words, they acknowledged that the old models of pronation, motion control, they are dead in the water. And, uh, <laughs> and now you're starting to see this marketing start to talk about, hey, we're not trying to minimize pronation anymore. We're just trying to make your ride more comfortable. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And so, Brad, if we now go on and have a look at the biological risk factors, you've mentioned a few. So let's go through some of those, um, perhaps starting with the medical history. So um, like a family history of osteoporosis, for example. Yeah, so if, if someone presents in clinic, Amanda, with a bone stress injury, a practitioner is overlooking some key components of their presentation if they're not getting a history of their athletic history and their medical history yeah. so medical history is there a family history of known low bone density uh, or any other disorders that can affect uh, bone development or bone health across the lifespan and we also want to know what the individual's uh, junior years were like did they play mm-hmm. sports like basketball where they were jumping around and loading the bones up or were they like myself from the age of 10, falling in love with triathlon, going through to 20, 10 years full full steam, late to puberty, lightweight the whole time because that's what endurance athletes typically look like yeah. and unfortunately not hitting peak bone mass, get into late 30s and realising that you've got low bone density. So right, it's a big area. There's not, as I believe it, if you don't, if you don't reach your peak bone mass by whatever whenever it is puberty or whenever you can't then build it up is that correct or not well to a degree it's 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 a mm. good to, it's a it's good to explore this because this is something that as a practitioner I'm probably more passionate about than anything is bone health uh yeah <laughs> i literally yesterday had a consultation with an endocrinologist and um and i said the same thing i'm like professor senator i can't believe how little this is in terms of as a spoken about health issue Mm -hmm. um so we have up to a 
about 20 years of age on average, males, females, a little bit later for males to hit peak bone mass. Yes. And from that, it's like a bone bank. We've then got to make withdrawals for the rest of our lives. Yeah. When we get to 50, there is a steep drop off in bone health for men and women, unfortunately quicker in women than men. And we have ability to influence that bone bank up once we've passed that peak bone mass, we can influence to, to a degree through uh, our fueling levels. If we're athletes through yep. uh, strength and conditioning principles. Yes. So known strength work can improve, but this, it's quite an interesting area, but we're, mm-hmm. we're going to get nominal changes. We're not going to make massive gains. It's going to be nominal, but it's still worth chasing. So it is so key that if people listening in have children, that they are trying to do everything they can to help their kids hit the best bank of bone they can to live off. Yeah, I think I agree. It's absolutely vital. And I wonder if those factors you were talking about, like strength training and when people are older, they can't necessarily build up the bone bank, but perhaps it stops it from deteriorating more quickly. Spot on, it preserves, yeah. it. it slows the rate of decay. And yeah. even people in their elderly years, mature years, can still have net gains through uh, heavy strength and conditioning work. Um, and then there's medications. So if someone has known low bone density, they might go on prolia injections, which okay. could give them an upswing of about 15% in bone density, which is quite a nice, nice win. But the reality is most people die with osteoporosis Unfortunately, many deaths are caused indirectly through osteoporotic yeah. fractures when people fall over. But it, it, it is one of the biggest health burdens for society, yet there's so much lack of knowledge around it. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, the point you make about people dying sort of indirectly through osteoporosis is one of the biggest killers for older people are hip fractures. And mm-hmm. If your bones um, are osteoporotic, what happens is the bone fra- it sort of fragments and fractures, so it can't actually be repaired. So I yeah. think that's one of the And once the people have done a hip, it's a fractured hip. I, I can't recall, the, I wouldn't know the contemporary statistics, but I think it used to be there's a percentage of, unfortunately, people that as elderly folk that passed away post within six months of a hip fracture. Yeah. It's, it's, it's stunningly sad. It is. So... If we want to talk to our young people about building up their uh, peak bone mass or density, what what are some of the things they should do? How do we get the best bone health possible? Yeah, my my suggestions would be incorporate multi-directional high loading for the bones. So in terms of activity, so that could be basketball where they're jumping, landing, gymnastics yep. where they're landing heavily. Um, I've got a two beautiful girls, four and seven years of age. And it warms my soul when I see them jump off a high bench and land. And I'm thinking purely for their bone health. I'm like, this is so good as a parent. Spoken like a true physio. As a parent, (laughs) there's that natural anxiety like, oh gosh, I hope I don't have an accident. But, you know, so those sorts of things are great. Um, If you've got a a child that does a lot of sport, which is quite common, obviously, um, then... We've got to fuel the children, and it's yes. it's a it's a it's a sensitive area because no parent would would ever feel good about not fueling their child. I think every parent would go, "Hey, I fuel my child well," but unfortunately, the reality is with high energy expenders, such as say a junior triathlete or a junior swimmer or a runner, their fueling levels while they're growing as well are enormous. 
they need to be yeah. eating like a like a horse all day pretty much. Um, and if the child is in a state of what we call or know as energy deficiency, they're not meeting yeah. their needs, they might get away with that for a day, but over an extended period, unfortunately, there's health consequences. And one of those could be bone health not being prioritized, which can contribute to a state of not reaching peak bone mass. So heavy exercise with loading, I should say heavy, heavy loads, um, which are in, you know, they're not, you know, they're not doing that every day necessarily. And then fueling, fueling, yeah. fueling, fueling. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I have a 19 year old who plays a huge amount of sport and my goodness, does he eat? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's great. The trick is though, that appetite isn't just the, uh, isn't a good guide for high energy expenders. So and then it's what they're eating as well. And that doesn't mean of they course. need it. But it's that calcium intake. I was dairy. I yeah. didn't like dairy. So, you know, it's got to meet those minimum RDIs, intake daily levels, but then above some, like for, for the for the junior athletes. So that's great if he's eating a lot and just keep feeding him. <laughs> and, and also, Brad, what about vitamin D? Because that plays a really important role in bone health as well. Yeah, vitamin D is is a huge one also, and it's funny because we think we all get a lot of sun, and if we live in Australia, then we probably do get a lot more than other parts of the world. But it's the time of day we're exposed to, so a lot of the slip, slop, slap movement around sun cancer, um, whilst good on a skin cancer uh, health awareness campaign, probably isn't so good on a vitamin D um, mm. D level. So. Uh, the daily recommended daily intakes are normally well south of what an athlete needs. Um, vitamin, oh, that's interesting. And vitamin D is required for healthy bones, for absorbing that calcium, uh, but it's also key for repairing bone stress injuries. So yeah. most people um, are unfortunately quite low and uh, it's typically required to have some sort of supplement. I use a vitamin D spray and, in fact, my endocrinologist, endocrinologist yesterday commented that your vitamin D levels are terrific. And I was like, great. Excellent. So what, where do you apply the spray? What just, part of your just body? Just an oral spray. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, there's, uh, there's sprays. My wife works in integrative medicine. Um, and so, yeah, I use the one my wife gave me, but it's, uh, yeah. I think it's about 3,000 international units across the sprays and that's in line okay. with, with a heavy exercises. I think one of the issues, Brad, about bone health is we can't see them. You know, they're on our inside. So yeah. people have no way of knowing when they're young if they're doing the right thing by their bones. It's tricky. And you're bulletproof when, you're, you know, you're growing up. Yeah. There's, you know, and... I just wish there was a bit more awareness around it. Like to think back on those comments I got yesterday, well, you were light and lean for your developmental years mm. um, and a, a big expender of energy uh, and I was probably underfueled. And so there's a, there's a cost. So it's those invisible things, as you say, Amanda, that yeah. can add up and unfortunately bite you a little bit later. It's very tricky though, I think, because to be competitive as a triathlete, as you were, it's being lean is probably the optimal body type or shape. And so if someone had come along and said, oh, Brad, you know, you need to eat more 
for your bones later on in life. I, I don't know. Would you have listened or not? It's hard to know, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it depends how it was presented, but yeah. if it was from a credible source, I would have uh, taken notice. But the thing is, uh, you can still be lean, whatever that means for the individual. Yeah. But as long as your energy balanced. So yeah. I recall Trent Stellingworth, sports-based dietitian, um, exercise scientist, when I spoke with him on on the podcast and Trent said that if you're 100 calories short a day, uh, which is not much, you can quite easily miss that. And if you were in that state, energy deficient across a year like that, that's equivalent to not eating for a month. Goodness and, me. And we would never, uh, ever suggest that an athlete doesn't eat for a month. So it's that hidden danger. And he also commented that the the leanest athletes are often the ones in the best energy balanced state. So they've been, so you can be super lean, but as long as you're balanced, that's the, that's the key okay. thing. But where we run into trouble is if we're trying to shed weight because we perceive yeah. that that's better for our running or performance and it's not done over a sustained period of time in the right way, then we leave ourselves open for health consequences and uh, the kicker Bone stress is injury. an injury, but also yeah. decrements to performance. It's so ironic. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tricky balancing act. Brad, when we are talking about bone stress injury, are certain people more susceptible than others? I know we've talked about the biological factors, but I mean actually in terms of gender. Are women or men more, more susceptible? Good question. Uh, I think I have read literature around the, the sex differences in, in incidence slash prevalence. And I think there is a slight bias towards female athletes, endurance athletes mm -hmm. incurring more bone stress injuries. I'd have to pull the data back out, but given the lower bone density of women post 50, you know, you do see that. And also the, the menstrual cycle and the role that can have on bone health. Yeah. It's, it, and, and, and the other part is the, uh, which isn't just affecting females, but the the body image issues that women navigate through their yeah. sporting and just general life um, that can unfortunately create a state of um, of concern for people's bones through a lack of energy. Yeah, that's a huge issue, isn't it? And it's not necessarily one that I want to go into now because I don't think we can really do it justice yeah. in yeah. such a short period of time. But yeah, that is most certainly an issue. And as you say, will impact on bone health. So Brad, if someone presents at your clinic with a bone stress injury, can you give us an example of how you might treat them? What are some of the things that you would look at and, and do? Yeah. So the big part is making sure there's a thorough history. So we're looking at all those factors and not just skimming the surface and talking about how much running um, you've done, Amanda. You know, we want to mm -hmm. dig deeper and explore all these factors because it's no good coming up with a nice return to run program and a, a, an accompanying strength and conditioning program uh, and neglecting the fact that, you know, your bone density might be south of where it is or yep. uh, there's some biological factors. You're in a state of relative energy deficiency. Uh, you'll quickly end up in the same you know, position and that's with a recurring bone stress injury. So, so a big part is the history and going through that mm -hmm. thoroughly. Uh, you can use questionnaires to uh, get data on that. There's one for females called the Leaf Q, low energy availability female questionnaire. There's a lean Q coming for males. It's not out yet. It's still passing a few, a few checks and balances. Mm -hmm. 
So we'll often use questionnaires. If someone has presented with multiple bone stress injuries, uh, or even if it's just their second, it's not yeah. uncommon for me to want to get a, a measure of their bone density through a, a DEXA scan, a bone density yeah, test, sure. um, just to make sure I'm not the therapist that misses these key factors um, and sets someone up ultimately for recurrent injury through missing something. So another consideration would be uh, do we you know, organize bloods, blood tests to look at sex hormone levels and vitamin D status and uh, bone turnover markers. So, so there's a few things in the history, but that is the most important part, uh, Amanda. It's it's the, the intervention is then around ad- addressing those factors, factors and triaging them. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, as you say, you're not going to give them a return to run program if there's something further down the line that needs to be fixed first. Yeah, and I mean you've got to work with your athlete or patient. If, if running is near and dear, then you're trying to get them out there as soon as they can. But you might have them on a red light, yellow light, green light type approach where if they're red, they're stratified red, which is high risk for further injury. We might, they've had other bone stress injuries in their yep. history. They're, they're, they were late to puberty. They um, have dropped a lot of body weight suddenly. There's identified disordered eating or eating disorder patterns. Then, uh, we're trying to help their health before we get them running. Um, so it's always individual. So Brad, do you ever refer them say to a sports dietitian or something like that? Cause it sounds like there's lots of factors going on here. Yeah, it's, it, 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 there is. And I look back at my early physio days and I had a simplified approach and I missed a lot of this stuff. Uh, but Rarely would there be a bone stress injury presentation that I see in clinic that is not needing a sports dietitian or dietitian oversight to make sure their fueling is where it yeah. needs to be, their calcium intake, their vitamin D. So it's 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 a multidisciplinary care team. And then if you've got longer or bigger challenges that have been identified through the history, um, then we're working with a sports doctor to organise blood bloods and endocrinology functioning as well. So it's a multidisciplinary team approach in most instances. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, let's talk about on the positive side, (laughs) what can we do to prevent bone stress injury? Yeah, I I simplify this, but eat more than you think you need. And uh, it's good news. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we, we know we're kind of not in the event space these days, but at the moment through COVID, but we've got time to, to you know, get where we want to get to for an event. We 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 shouldn't be aiming to be at the weight that we think's good for our racing all year round. That's just yeah. It's not re- practical. It's not well serving unless we're an elite athlete and we've got our energy balance really dialed in. So yeah. eat more than we think we need. Ensure that calcium levels are up there. Ensure that vitamin D status is up there. And if you're listening in and you don't know what your vitamin D levels are. I understand, but please go and get a blood test and just see. You might sure. be surprised. You might say, I spend all day in the sun, or you might be okay. Uh, I was vitamin D deficient as a therapist for 10 years because I would run in the morning before work or mm. after work in the dark, and I'd spend 10 hours in a room all day not seeing the sun. Yeah, and, and I mean, a lot of people have a similar pattern to their work day, don't they, yep. um, inside a lot of the time? Yep. And so that's so key and strength and conditioning, Amanda. So 
we all need strength and conditioning as we mature more so than ever. Um, there's a few misnomers that all exercise in the gym is going to help build bone, but unfortunately it won't. It's got to be heavy and there's a few yeah. like squats, deadlifts, strict presses. There's a few really known good exercises that stimulate bone health, but yes. it's got to be heavy. So people have got to build it up to being able to do it as heavy as they can. And the other sort of misnomer is that running builds bone, but it doesn't. It can help maintain bone density of, say, the, the hips um, if it's done the right manner, but mm-hmm. it's better to be running than not, but it doesn't build bone. It's, so, so they'd be my, my, my suggestions. Yeah, well, that I've actually on a personal level found now that I'm getting older that strength work is so important and it helps prevent injury too. So Absolutely. You know, yeah, I have to go to a personal trainer because otherwise I wouldn't have the motivation to do it because I don't love doing it, but he makes it, he makes it fun. Brad, I'm conscious that you're a busy man. You've got to go off to another meeting. So let's wrap things up. You have a lot of things on your plate, obviously. So what do you do to relax or unwind? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if a, you do that. <laughs> no, I, no I, uh, I, I try my best as we all do. I, I, like, I mean, I, there's nothing more gratifying to me than completing some training session where you feel like you've you know, challenged yourself and it's rewarding, satisfying to complete that. So... Uh, my day is set up well if I can get that hit somehow. So mm-hmm. that's first and foremost. Uh, I've never really mastered the art of being able to switch off. Maybe it's because I'm a business owner, and I. But yeah, my children are a great leveler. Um, I have made a conscious effort to try and be as present with them as I can when I'm home. And you know, I think we all fear that missing that if uh if they grow too quickly um so my kids oh, it happens fast brad <laughs> so i'll take some notes so my kids and, and exercise uh i don't really spend much time on the couch but um unless it's something maybe like the tour de france <laughs> <laughs> that's that's late night on the couch that one <laughs> exactly yeah and brad who inspires you yeah um i get inspired by athletic pursuits of course but yeah. I just get inspired by anyone that's functioning at the peak level in their cho- chosen field. So I can get goosebumps watching a, you know, a child doing their best with that whatever you know ability they have. Yeah. I, I find inspiration from so many places, but I mean, athletically, um, uh, I've, I've admired certain athletes for their you know their overcoming obstacles like. You know, I grew up in triathlon, so mm-hmm. Brad Bevan was my hero as a kid. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a few athletes that are near and dear in that sense. But really inspiration for me is just sourced in so many places. I get inspired, I guess, in summary through people that persevere. Um, I think it's yeah. easy to start anything, but my gosh, it's hard to keep going in anything in life. Yeah, and as you've already alluded to, you've had your ups and downs, your personal ups and downs, even in your own physio practice, which is obviously now thriving. But uh, you went through a period there where you had to really think hard and examine what you were doing, didn't you? So, um, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's think- life. And and the final question, Brad, that I like to ask all of my 
guess is if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? <laughs> Great question. Make a commitment to lifelong strength and conditioning. Okay, you heard it here. Yeah, and and, and you know, until death do us part, we should all be lifting. Yeah. Even if we don't like it. Um, <laughs> it's and I'd rate it for people's health and well-being more important than cardiovascular exercise. Yeah, very interesting. So strength and conditioning commitment through life. Find a way to make it enjoyable like you've done with a trainer. If it doesn't mm-hmm. float your boat, that's excellent. And the second thing, if we keep it in theme with our conversation today, Amanda, around bone stress injuries, eat more than you think you need, but you've got to make, put that in context. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are essentially talking about athletes here, people who move a lot. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, every athlete, if they put their hand on their heart, would identify that they've got a bit of an odd relationship with food. Uh, Oh, absolutely. So, you know, eat more than we think we need. Oh, well, I love that advice. I'll be taking that to heart, Brad. (laughs) After you do your gym session, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Brad, um, if people would like to follow you or listen to your podcast, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, thanks, Amanda. Uh, I'm personally uh, quite easily found over on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, et cetera, just my name, at Brad underscore beer on most of those Mm -hmm. handles. And Amanda, the show, thank you. It's uh, the physical performance show. And so that's found on all search uh, search platforms uh, for, for podcasts and, and online as well. And and I'll, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. But Brad, what about if someone wants a telehealth consultation? Because I, I think I failed to mention that Brad's based in the Gold Coast. So what if someone from Adelaide or Sydney wants to connect with you yeah thanks amanda um that can be organized through our website pogophysio.com.au and there's a page there about telehealth consultations but it's uh yeah it's fascinating how that's opened up the world um you know i I regularly speak with runners overseas and um yeah it's, it's just fun to be so connected in this day and age I think it's fantastic. I mean, for someone like me, being able to have access to all these experts, no matter where they are, is just brilliant. I think yeah. we're lucky. Yeah, it's a good time to be alive. Obviously, we've got our challenges, but uh, by yes. and large, it's uh, it's a good time. Got to pick. Got to stick with the good stuff. So, Brad, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you today. Amanda, thank you, and uh, and keep going, keep persevering. You're doing great work. I, I will be. I will be. Thank you. And that was Brad Beer, physio, author, athlete, podcaster, and bone health advocate. Thank you for listening today. And I do hope that you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. And if you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, You can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook and check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com where you can contact me on the contacts page. And feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labor of love. 
It has become my full-time job, to which I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions via my Patreon page or via PayPal from the support page on my website and I'll put links in the show notes so please do check it out. Another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click the Amazon link there, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission if you buy a book. Thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.